He is risen. He is risen indeed. And the risen and reigning Lord Jesus lives among his people, among his church, in the home. Now, you guys know me. You know that I have a particular fondness for the TV station HGTV, Home and Garden Television. I love watching those shows about people selling homes, buying homes, renovating and remaking homes. And I got to thinking, you know, if all the impression that you got about what a home is for came from HGTV, what kind of ideas would you get? As you watch enough of those shows and you'd say, okay, what is a house for? In addition to your basic shelter, four walls and a, and a roof, a house is a place of, of R&R, right? It's rest and relaxation. It's a place of recreation. Of course, in this time, for many of us, home has also become a place of insanity in some cases. <laughs> Let's say it's also home is a place for entertainment. You know, you got to make sure you've got the, the big screen TV. You've got all the best speakers and all of those things that can keep you entertained. And of course, if you're talking about those HGTV shows in particular, a home is for entertaining. People are always entertaining. They're constantly having huge groups of people over to their houses. That's why they need such open floor plans so that they can have just these great throngs that come over to their home. Look, I don't mean to make too light of it. Of course, all of those things are, are good in their own right. Entertaining, entertainment, and have an R&R. That's true when it comes to what a home is for. But it certainly differs from the ancient Jewish perspective on what a home was for. And that view of the home was especially forged in their time when they were separated from their homes and especially when they were separated from the sanctuary of the temple. See, in 586 BC, the people of God found that they were invaded in Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed, it was raised by the invading Babylonians, and they were led away into exile. And here they found themselves separated from their sanctuary. The Mikdash was what they called it in Hebrew. And so they, there's this plaintive song in Psalm 137 where the people ask, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The idea was, the impression that you get is, how can we be the people of God in this time when we're separated from the sanctuary? If we don't have our Mikdash, how can we be God's people? This is the question that, that they were asking. And one of the answers that the rabbis give and that the scriptures give is very fascinating. They said, okay, maybe you don't have your mikdash, but instead the scripture said, you have a mikdash ma'at, literally a small sanctuary. And what was that mikdash ma'at? What was, what was that small sanctuary they were referring to? It was the home. It was a recognition that while you're not able to gather together in the place where you've so commonly and so often met with God in the temple, in that sanctuary, the typical mikdash, the big sanctuary, if you will, now in your homes, you are able to recognize anew that God is present with you in your mikdash ma'at, in your small sanctuary, so that the home became a place of worship. It was a house of prayer. The home became a place of study. It was a house of learning. And the home became a place of community, a house of assembly. In all of those ways, as the people of God recognize that, while it's not ideal that they're not able to gather at the big sanctuary, the Mikdash in Jerusalem. Still, wherever they are, God gathers them together and meets them in their Mikdash Me'at, in their small sanctuary. Well, today we're continuing our series. We've been looking at what does it mean for us to be the church in this time of scattering, 
And we've used this analogy of the Israelites in exile from the Old Testament to think about this moment where we're not able to gather together as church at church. But that doesn't mean we are any less the people of God. And today I want us to think more deeply about what does it mean for us to be the church at home? And to do that, I want to do a comparison and contrast to see uh, how it is that God meets us at our big sanctuary, right? In our own mikdash. But also how he gathers and, and meets us and serves us in our small sanctuaries of the home, our own mikdash me'at. Because one of the big things I want to convey to you all through this is that these two are not in competition with one another. That the way that God serves us here at the big sanctuary, at our own Mikdash, it, it complements and goes along with the ways that he continues to serve us and to build us up in the home. Both of those go together. Both of them are important. And we see those both, especially in our reading today from Acts chapter 2, where we saw the, the first disciples, the early church, were meeting together at the temple, at the Mikdash, but also in their homes, their Mikdash Me'at. You're going to have those terms memorized, I hope, by the time this sermon is over. But I want to look at three areas in particular where we can do a comparison and contrast between the way that God meets us in these two places. When it comes to people, when it comes to practices, and when it comes to furnishings. Those three areas are things in particular. All right, the first area I want to draw a, a comparison and a contrast is in terms of the people, the people that we have in the big sanctuary and in the small sanctuary. And to get at that, share, you a, share with you a small anecdote from Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther, as many of you know, he was a, a, a monk. He was an unmarried man all the way up into his 30s, launched the Reformation, and even for several years after that, he still continued to be a single man. Even though he argued for uh, priests, pastors to marry, he himself remained unmarried until one day he meets this rogue nun named Katharina von Bora, and it's a wonderful story. They have this romance, and they get married. Well, now Luther finds himself as a father and as kind of an older father, especially by the, um, what was typical of that time. And here Luther has this, his firstborn son, little Hans, and he's just admiring and wondering at this little boy Hans would go around the house and Hans would look and see all the different things in the home. And the question that he would ask is the question that kids still ask. He would point at things and say, was ist das? Was ist das? Was ist das? What is this? What is this? What is this? What is that? This is the question then that Luther would later incorporate into his small catechism, what's usually translated as, what does this mean? But the question was literally just, was is das? See, Luther recognized that in the home, the pastor, the, the father, or the head of the household, now serves this role of, of catechesis, of passing on the faith. And little Hans helped him to see that. So that throughout the small catechism, the heading at each of the sections, whether it be the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and so on and so forth, it says how the head of the household should teach it to his family. This gets us something very important about the people who are gathered at these respective spots, the big sanctuary and the small sanctuary. See, in the, the big sanctuary, our Mikdash, when we're gathered together, all together as the people of God, it's all of us or as we might put it in Jesus' terms from today's gospel, it's the whole flock gathered together <laughs> with your pastor as the under-shepherd. 
and Christ Jesus himself always as the good shepherd who gathers us together here in this place to receive his gifts. But Jesus continues to be the good shepherd also in your Mikdash Me'at, in your home. And there, while we aren't able to gather with the whole people of God, he puts you together with your family. With, uh, if here we have the family of faith, at home you have your human family, your, your biological or temporal family. And I want to encourage you too, if you happen to be a single person or a widow or widower, and you're watching this and you're by yourself at home, and maybe you've been experiencing this whole time of sheltering in place just by yourself, I want to remind you and reassure you that you are never alone. Christ is present with you. And still you are bound together as the body of Christ with one another. That we are together in spirit even when we're not able to gather together in body. Whether it be in the big sanctuary of the church, whether it be in the small sanctuary of the home. Still we are united as the body of Christ. In both of those places, though it might be it looked a little bit different who's there, still in both of those places. And in the home, in that small sanctuary, for those of you with families, with young children, I want to encourage you fathers especially to, to own and embrace that as the head of the household, Luther would speak this way, you are the pastor of your home. You are the bishop of your, of your own territory there. Sometimes we say, you know, my home is a castle. Well, uh, God's people would say, no, my home is another sanctuary. Here it is a mikdash me'at, where I am here to lead my family into a, a deeper awareness, into a deeper faith in Christ, the Good Shepherd, present with us there, no less than he's present with us at the church. Okay, so that's the first area of comparison and contrast I wanted to lift up for you, that the church is the church at the sanctuary, but also in the small sanctuary of home. The second area that I want to compare for us is the practices, the activities that happen in these respective places. What happens in the, the big sanctuary versus what happens in the, in the small sanctuary. A friend of mine passed along to me a, a story that was on the website the Babylon Bee. Some of you uh, visit this website. It's a parody news site, a Christian parody news site. And you think, that doesn't sound very interesting. Trust me, it is hilarious. But one of the stories that came out recently in the midst of the sheltering in place and everybody is worshiping at home and the, the story, the headline read that Lutheran family still manages to sit in back pew while worshiping at home. Maybe it's more true than we care to admit, right? But it also points to a really significant area of intersection and commonality between our worship and the practices that we have in our big sanctuary, in the church gathered together, and also in the home. See, in our reading from Acts, it lifted up those activities that we most associate with our gathering together as the whole church in the sanctuary. So in Acts 2, 42 and 43, it talked about how the Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to their doctrine. We might equate this with preaching in particular and with catechesis, and with Bible study, to the, the fellowship, or the koinonia, to the, the gathering together, to the breaking of bread, or the celebration of the Lord's Supper, and to the prayers. This fourfold um, uh, pattern of ministry really sums up what it means for the church to gather together, the kinds of activities that we have. We might sum it up as word and sacrament, liturgy and the Lord's Supper. This is the, the constitutive activities and practices of the people of God as they gather together in our own mikdash, in the big sanctuary, 
as the church. So then you say, well, what does it look like then to gather apart or to scatter as the people of God to our Mikdash Me'at, to our homes? Well, here the Acts also points up uh, how this happens. As it goes on in that reading, we hear how the people of God individually, as they were going away from that corporate gathering, they were finding ways to give alms, uh, to sell their possessions, and to serve those who were in need. That was something that happened together corporately as the body of Christ, but it was also part of the, the personal responsibility for each of those Christians as they were finding ways to extend mercy to their neighbors who are in need. That continues to be the case for you and me. As we receive the mercy of Christ, we're seeking to show mercy and care for our neighbors, particularly in the time of trial and crisis. And I will go further and say that as it goes on to, to point out the reading from Acts, they were breaking bread in their homes. Well, does this mean that they were celebrating the Lord's Supper in their homes? Well, in all likelihood, yes, because the church was oftentimes meeting in homes. Of course, they didn't have beautiful sanctuaries that they could build. That's why they were meeting in the temple. But it also points up how at, in our homes, we continue to maintain, if you will, a liturgical spirituality, which is to say a practice of our faith, which is formed and informed by the way that we celebrate and, and practice our faith all together as the church. What does that look like? What does that mean? means that when we're at home, we also continue in our practice of prayer. Prayers which are in some ways echoing and are reminiscent of the prayers that we have together as the body of Christ. But here it's a time for you especially and personally to commune with Christ and to, to raise before him the intercessions that you have. It also, that liturgical spirituality also plays itself out in terms of your reading and studying of scripture. So we have our, our reading and proclamation of scripture together when we're gathered together at the big sanctuary. But for you individually, you have your personal study and devotion and meditation on God's word. And also as a family, perhaps having family devotions gathered around the dinner table. More to say about that in a minute. But finding ways in which you're still reading the scripture, studying that, and day by day, remembering and invoking the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, recalling who you are. Even as when we're gathered together, we begin with that invocation each and every day. As individual believers, we're doing that as well. As families in our homes, many of those practices that we do are continuing the faith that we receive and that we inculcate and nourish in our worship life, gathered together as the body of Christ. And see, these two should be understood to be not in competition, but they're complementing one another. The faith that is nourished and lived out when we're gathered together as the body of Christ in the big sanctuary of the church, and also the faith, the spirituality that is nourished and nurtured at home. And the way I'm doing this now, because I'm picturing in my mind like an archway, okay? So imagine an archway, and on the one side, you have all of the gifts that we receive gathered together as the corporate people of God. And you have the gifts that are, are practiced and exercised and continue to receive and in our homes, as individuals, as families, it's like an archway. And in both cases, it's still held together by the cornerstone of Christ. He binds us together, our good shepherd who meets with us and who administers his gifts to us, whether we're together as the church, at church, or whether we're scattered as the church in our homes. Still, those practices, they go hand in hand and build up and mutually reinforce one another. Okay, so that's the, the second 
comparison and contrast for what it means for us to be the church at home in our small sanctuary versus the big sanctuary. So we've talked about the people and the practices. And then third and finally, there's the furnishings. You say, furnishings? Furniture? Pastor, really? This is what you're going to talk about? Yes, there is some profound significance to the furniture we have, both here in church and also at home, and some real areas of interconnection. This was brought home to me in a really funny way. A number of years ago, Ann and I we were visiting one of our favorite restaurants, this Italian restaurant in California, and it had just opened up, and the owner was pointing out to us all of the, the wonderful furnishings they had had. And they had gotten a number of things, actually, from churches. They had gone into to churches and taken some of their furnishings and incorporated them into the decor and the furniture of the restaurant. And so the owner, he knew that I was a pastor, and he pointed out how at the bar they had actually used the kneelers from this church. I thought, well, that's kind of fitting. Then I pointed out to him, I said, you know, for kneelers having come from a church, these look like they're brand new. And he says to me, says, yeah, we got them from a Unitarian church. True story. Anyhow, it points up to me that kind of intersection between the furnishings that we have in the church, in the big sanctuary, and those we have in the home. First, let me lay out for you, what are these central furnishings that we have in the church? Well, they're very obvious with the moment's reflection. You're not able to see it from here, but I'm looking back at the baptismal font. That would be the, the first foundational furnishing that we have as the body of Christ. We, we have it, you pass it as you're coming into the sanctuary. The font is the place of our baptism where God sets his name upon us and claims us as his own, where the good shepherd calls you and me by name and says, you belong to me. So that's that foundational furnishing. Then we have the pulpit up here to my left, as you can imagine it, you're not able to see it right now. The pulpit, the place of proclamation, the word of God being spoken in the present tense. And then third and finally, you have the altar. The altar, the place from which we receive the very body and blood of Christ as he comes to us in the breaking of the bread. These three foundational, central furnishings really make up what it means for us to be the church. There's other things that go along with it as well, auxiliary furnishings, but these three are really the big three and the constitutive elements for us in our mikdash, in our big sanctuary. What about in your home, in the small sanctuary? You probably don't have a font, a pulpit, or an altar. But here's what you do have. You've got a washroom, first of all. You've got a place where you go and wash yourself each day. And when you do that, I want to encourage you to remember your baptism. As you splash yourself with water in the morning, you, you, you take your morning shower, you wash your hands, you know, 30 times a day right now. What an opportunity for us to continue to remember, I'm baptized. I am one who has been called by name, in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've got a washroom. You've also got you know, a, a nightstand or a bedside table. It's a place of morning and evening prayers. When you wake up in the morning, Luther says, make the sign of the Holy Cross. Remember who you are. And he says, speak the Lord's Prayer. And he gives a morning prayer as well, right at the beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, before you go to bed, kneeling beside your bed or laying in bed, and again, making the sign of the cross, saying the Lord's Prayer, saying your prayers, and having your day be bracketed by prayer, by communion with Christ. The nightstand is another one of those central furnishings at home. And then third and finally, you've got the altar of your dinner table, your supper table. 
there. You don't have a, a place where we receive the Lord's Supper per se, but instead, as you are gathering for a meal, as you are breaking bread in your home, it's an opportunity to remember the, the gift, the food, the bread of life that Christ feeds to you. It's a natural place for you to, to gather perhaps with your family, to have family devotions. And I know for some of you, maybe you're still uncomfortable about that or not sure how to do that. I plan on doing a separate video this week to share more about how you can do that. But just suffice it to say in this moment, it doesn't have to be so complicated. It's simple. And in fact, in the small catechism, Luther lays out just some very simple prayers in morning and evening at the supper table, just to, to have those opportunities to remember the good shepherd gathers us together from the Lord's table to the dinner table and everywhere in between. He's with us in the big sanctuary, the Mikdash, gathering us together as all the people of God, and also in the Mikdash Mayat, the small sanctuary of the home. In all of these ways, in all of these places, our good shepherd continues to gather us together and is present with us. I want to give you one parting thought, a note of encouragement. And to do that, I turn to one of my great sources of wisdom. Of course, I'm talking about Seinfeld. You guys, I love to quote Seinfeld. I start with HGTV at the beginning. I give you Seinfeld at the end. I'm covering all my favorites. I'll save Friday Night Lights for another sermon. But uh, Seinfeld, one of the things Seinfeld talks about is the idea of the pop-in. Okay, And the pop-in is when friends or family, they just stop by. right? If you're familiar with the show Seinfeld, you know Kramer, Elaine, George, they're always just popping in. It's that unannounced, uninvited visit. And you know, Jesus was a huge fan of the pop-in. He was constantly popping in unannounced, unexpected on people. Mary and Martha, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home today. He's doing that all over the place. Why? Why does Jesus do that? You could say, well, maybe it's a pop quiz. It's just like if the pastor comes over to my house, I better make sure, you know, I've got the Bible, dust it off a little bit, show, hey, here's the, the Bible right there, and is everything looking good? And pastor's coming over and looking, okay, let's see, how pious is this home? No, guys. When it's speaking for me personally, I've stressed this again and again. I want to come to your home to visit you, to be with you, to encourage you, to pray with you. I look forward to a day we can do that again in the very near future. I also don't mind getting the brownies and cookies that you often share with me. That's why pastors tend to add a few pounds. Be that as it may, Jesus, when he pops in on people, unannounced, unexpected, you know why I think he does that? To make it clear that this is not a, a pop quiz moment. It's a just as you are moment. That he is a Lord who comes to you and me in the midst of all of our mess, in the midst of our imperfect, frazzled lives. How much more is that true right now? How many of you, your homes right now are a mess? You thought to yourself, I'm going to be home all the time. Now is a chance when I'm really going to keep this place clean. It'll be spotless. Maybe it's just my house, but for you guys too, you're, it's probably not quite that way. Sheep always have a habit of making a mess of places. You know what? Our good shepherd comes to you and me in the midst of our mess, comes to our mikdash mayat and dwells among us, not as a, a pop quiz, but as a just as you are. Comes to us in our imperfection and continues to administer to you and me his grace. Let this be an encouragement for us. In this season of scattering, we are still the church. We are still the flock of our good shepherd who comes and gives to you and me his life, his life 
in abundance. He gathers us together and gives it to us in the big sanctuary when we're all gathered together. And Lord willing, we'll be there again soon and very soon. But he also does it for you and me in our little sanctuaries of our home. In the midst of that mess, as much as we, we might say, Lord, I'm not ready for you. He says, I'm ready for you. And it is my joy and pleasure to dwell with you in that place. Be encouraged this week, friends, that you have a Lord who is with you in all of those places and in the in-between. You have a Christ present with you in it all. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.